And uh, hello everyone, I'm Bob Keezer. This is the Son of Man Urantia Project. Today's episode is chapter 40, Further Discussions with Rodan. As planned, everyone came back together and met up in Majadan on Sunday, September 25th. Jesus surprised the apostles and evangelists, telling them that he and the twelve apostles were, were leaving early the next day for Jerusalem. They were going to the Feast of Tabernacles. The evangelist he told to keep working in Galilee, and the women's corps he told to go back to Bethsaida for a while. The next morning, when it was time for Jesus and the twelve to start walking to Jerusalem, Nathaniel and Thomas asked Jesus if they could stay there in Majadon for a few more days and continue their discussions with Rodan of Alexandria. The week before, they had alternated teaching Rodan the gospel, and the two apostles found that he had been well taught by one of John the Baptist's former apostles in Alexandria. The Personality of God One area where Rodan and the apostles disagreed had to do with the personality of God. While Rodan was okay with all of the attributes, in other words, the qualities and characteristics of God that he had been taught, he stood firm saying that God is not and could not be a person in the same way that a man thinks of personality. But while the two apostles had a hard time trying to prove that God is a person, Rodan had an even harder time trying to prove that he is not. Rodan's position was that personality can only exist when two equal beings with sympathetic understanding and full mutual communication come together. He said, In order to be a person, God has to have a way to fully communicate with and be totally understood by those beings who contact him. But since God is eternal and infinite, the creator of all things, then when it comes to having a being of equal rank to talk with, there are none. God is alone in the universe. No being is equal to him, and no being can communicate with God as an equal. God may be the source of personality, but he is transcendent which means much greater than personality, just like the Creator is something more than the creature. Rodan's stance on personality put Thomas and Nathaniel in a spot, and not knowing how to respond, they had gone and asked Jesus to come to their rescue. Jesus refused to get involved in the discussion. But he did tell Thomas, It really does not matter what your idea of God is. As long as you are spiritually tuned in to the ideal of his eternal 
and infinite nature. Thomas said that God does communicate with man, and that means that he is a person in Rodin's definition. But Rodin said no, that God does not personally show himself to us, that he is still a mystery. Then Nathaniel used his own personal experience with God to try and convince Rodin. And while Rodin agreed his experience was valid and said that he had had also many similar experiences, those experiences, he said, only proved the reality of God, not his personality. By Monday night, Thomas gave up. But by Tuesday night, Nathaniel had persuaded Roden to believe in his father's personality. He used the following arguments. 1. God does have full and equal communication with at least two other beings who are equal to him, the Eternal Son and the Infinite Spirit. Between them, they make up the Trinity, each the same, yet each a different flavor of God. Because of this, Rodin had to admit that there was the possibility that God was a personality. As side notes, it was by reviewing these discussions later in their lives that the apostles enlarged their understanding of the Trinity, and also it was, of course, the apostles' belief that Jesus was the eternal Son. Two, since Jesus was equal with the Father, and since Jesus had come to earth and shown himself to humanity as a person, that demonstrates the possibility that all three of the Godheads have personality. Nathaniel's points settled that argument, and they never again questioned God's ability to communicate with man and the possibility of people communicating with God. 3. That Jesus was the Son of God and perfectly able to communicate with humanity. The Father-Son relationship assumes equal communication and understanding between the two, and that Jesus and the Father are one. That Jesus maintained communication with both God and man at the same time. And since both God and man were able to fully communicate with Jesus, that meant that both God and man had personalities according to that definition. That Jesus' personality showed the personality of God and proved the presence of God in man. In other words, that if two things are related to the same thing, they themselves are related. 4. That personality represents man's highest ideas of human reality and divine values, while God represents man's highest ideas of divine reality and infinite values. So that means that in reality, God must always be a divine infinite, 
and universal personality, even though forever rising above man's idea of personality. Five, finally, that God must be a personality since he is the creator of all personality and he is the goal or destiny of all personality. Roden had been hugely influenced by Jesus' saying that, So be you perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. After hearing Nathaniel's arguments, Rodan said, I am convinced. I will say that God is a person. If you let me say that personality is also represented by a group of higher values, like being final, eternal, supreme, infinite, universal, and superhuman. I am now convinced that, while God must be infinitely more than a personality, he cannot be anything less. I accept Jesus as the personal revelation of the Father to humanity, and the answer to all unsatisfied questions of logic, reason, and philosophy. Jesus' Divine Nature Since Rodan understood the gospel so well, Thomas and Nathaniel only had one other thing to discuss, the teaching about Jesus' divine nature that they had only recently learned. The two apostles both presented their views to Rodan, and the following is a restatement of their teaching. 1. Jesus admitted that he was divine, that he was of God, and we believe him. So many remarkable things have happened in his ministry that we can only believe that he is both the Son of God as well as the Son of Man. 2. Jesus' life with us has been a model of ideal friendship. Only a divine being could be such a good human friend. He is truly the most unselfish person we have ever known. He is the friend of even sinners. He dares to love his enemies. Jesus is very loyal to us. Well, he does not hesitate to scold us, it is plain to all of us that he truly loves us. The better you know Jesus, the more you will love him. You will be charmed by his unwavering devotion. Through all of these years of us not understanding his mission, Jesus has been a faithful friend. While he does not flatter us, he does treat us all with equal kindness. He is always tender and compassionate. Jesus has shared his life and everything else with us. We are a happy community. We share everything. We do not believe that a mere human could live such a blameless life under such trying circumstances. 3. 
we think Jesus is divine because he never does anything wrong. He never makes a mistake. His devotion is superb. His wisdom, extraordinary. He lives day by day perfectly following his Father's will. Jesus never says he is sorry for something because he never sins. He prays for us and with us, but he never asks us to pray for him. We believe that he is consistently sinless. We do not think that anyone who is only human has ever lived such a life. Jesus claims to live a perfect life, and we agree that he does. Our devotion comes from admitting we were wrong, but Jesus' devotion is based in decency, unrighteousness. He even says he can forgive sins, and he does heal diseases. No mere human who is not crazy would say he can forgive sin. That is God's right. And it seems Jesus has been perfect like this since the first time we met him. We grow in grace and knowledge. But Jesus was perfect from the start. Everyone, both good and evil, sees this goodness in Jesus. And yet, his devotion is never bothersome to others or done to receive praise from the people around him. He is both meek and fearless. He is okay with us believing that he is divine. Jesus is either what he says he is, or else he is the greatest fraud and hypocrite the world has ever known. We, though, believe he is just what he claims to be. 4. Jesus' unique character and perfect emotional control convince us that he is both human and divine. He always responds to suffering and human need. Jesus is compassionate to mental anguish, spiritual sadness, and physical suffering. He is quick to see a person's faith or other high qualities, and he is quick to acknowledge them. Jesus is just and fair, while at the same time merciful and considerate. He grieves that people are spiritually stubborn, and he rejoices when they see the light of truth. 5. Jesus seems to know people's minds and what they want in their hearts. He is always sympathetic when our spirits are troubled. He seems to have all human emotions, but magnificently glorified. As much as he loves goodness, Jesus hates sin. He is conscious of the presence of deity. Jesus prays like a man, but he acts like a god. He seems to know the future. And now he is even talking about his death and some mystical reference to him being glorified in the future. While he is kind, he is also brave. Jesus always does his duty.
6. We are constantly impressed by Jesus' superhuman knowledge. Hardly a day goes by without seeing something happening elsewhere. Excuse me. Hardly a day goes by without something happening elsewhere and him somehow knowing about it. He also seems to be able to read our minds. We have no doubt Jesus talks with celestial beings and that he lives on a higher spiritual plane than the rest of us. He seems to understand everything. Jesus does not ask us questions to get information, but to get us to think. 7. Recently, Jesus does not hesitate to say that he is superhuman. Ever since the day we were ordained as apostles, right up to now, he has never denied that he came from God. He speaks as a divine teacher. Jesus does not hesitate to counter today's religious teachings and to declare the new, novel, the new gospel with authority. He is positive, assertive, and authoritative. Even John the Baptist, when he heard Jesus speak, said that he was a son of God. Jesus does not seem to need anything. He does not crave the support of the people. He is indifferent to people's opinions. Jesus is brave and yet so free from pride. 8. Jesus always talks about God like he is part of everything that he does. He goes about doing good. God seems to be in him. If he were not divine, what he says about his mission would be absurd. Jesus once said, Before Abraham was, I am. He definitely claims to be divine. In every way imaginable, he tells us that he is in partnership with God. Jesus even dares to say that he and the Father are one, that anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. And he says and does all of this naturally, like a child would. Jesus speaks of his relationship with God in the same way he talks about his relationship with us. He seems to be certain of God and speaks about these relationships in a matter-of-fact way. 9. In his prayers, Jesus seems to talk directly with the Father. We have only heard a few of his prayers, but these few indicate that Jesus talks with God, if you would, face to face. He seems to know the future as well as the past. Jesus could not be all of this and do all of these extraordinary things unless he were something more than human. We know Jesus is human. We are sure of that. But we are equally sure that he is also divine. We are convinced that Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God.
When Nathaniel and Thomas were done talking with Rodan, they hurried off to Jerusalem and met up with the others on Friday. These talks were a great experience for all three of these believers. And the other apostles learned a lot when Nathaniel and Thomas later told them all that they had discussed. Rodan made his way back to Alexandria, where for a long time he taught in the school of Magenta, Magenta and became a mighty man in the later affairs of the kingdom of heaven. And he was faithful to the end of his life, being killed in Greece with the others when the persecutions were at their height. Jesus' human and divine minds. Becoming conscious that he was divine was a gradual process for Jesus up until he was baptized by John. After becoming fully self-conscious of his divine nature, his pre-human existence, and his rights as the creator of the universe, he seems to have been able at times to limit his human realization that he was divine. It seems that from his baptism until the crucifixion, it was entirely up to Jesus on whether or not to depend on his human mind or to also use his divine mind. At times, he seems to have only used his human knowledge. Other times, he appears to have acted with the wisdom that could only come from his divine mind. We can understand all of this by accepting that Jesus could, at will, limit his divine knowledge. We know that he often withheld what he knew of the future and that he knew what others were thinking. We understand that he did not want people to know how much he could read their minds. He did not want to do so much that was out of normal that his followers could no longer think of him as being human. With all of that said, we cannot say when Jesus was limiting his knowledge of the future and when he was hiding something of what he knew. He seemed to only use human knowledge at times, and then we would see him talking to celestial beings. And many times we saw the results of this combined man-god personality from what appeared to be a perfect union of his human and divine minds. And that is all we know of these things. We do not know the full truth of this mystery. Okay, everyone, that's it for Chapter 40. Further discussions with Rodan. Coming up in a few days is chapter 41, at the Feast of Tabernacles. Defend liberty. Protect the little ones. Get out there and find some way to serve man for the sake of God. Bobby Keezer, out here.